Good morning, church family. I love that video. I love that video so much. It transitions into what we're going to be talking about this morning so much about the opportunity to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, our Lord, the Christ. And so it just really sets the tone. There's been a lot of things that have been going on, but I love that that whole perspective of these are opportunities for God to grab a hold of our hearts, to transform us into his greater likeness. So we, we want that perspective. Well, let's open our Bibles. Exodus chapter 28 is where we're going to be, and I want us to pray, and then we'll get into our Bible study this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Father, we we come before you recognizing our need, recognizing your fulfillment of that need, and recognizing that, God, we want to hear from you. Father, we long to hear from you, God. We long to to get guidance and counsel and direction as you speak to us through your word. And so we pray that you would do that this morning, that in some text, in some word, you would use it to speak directly to our hearts. Father, you just have a, a supernatural way of doing that through your living and active word. So I pray for everyone tuning in, that they would have a, a palpable experience of your spirit reaching into the depths of their soul and implanting your good word like seed that is able to grow deep into their hearts and bear fruit. So we pray that you would do that, God. Yes, have your way. Yes, speak to your people. Anoint my lips to teach your word now in a way that is faithful, honorable, accurate, and true, so you would be exalted. We pray all this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get to the text that we have this morning, some long text that we'll work our way through, I'm hoping quickly, but I want to open up with this question. Have you ever heard the saying, the clothes make the man? Have you ever heard that saying, or the clothes make the woman? It's this idea that dress for success, right? What you're wearing is going to communicate a message about who you are on the inside, or it's going to communicate a message even to yourself. That, that I'm prepared, I'm ready to perform, I'm going to complete the task at hand. I'm assuming some of you have heard that. But we want to know, is it true, right? Do clothes really make the man? Do clothes really make the woman? Do clothes really change my mindset? Well, I'm going to reference an article that is from a PhD professor at the, the Northwestern University. But what, what he says is yes, yes, it does. It's called enclosed cognition. That, that's what he's talking about. But listen to some of the some of the research that he found. Biology students within a classroom setting. Picture lab. They're they're in a lab room setting. They he found that that biology students who are wearing a white lab coat actually perform better under high scrutiny tests than those biology students who weren't wearing a white lab coat. It turns out in that instance, wearing a white lab coat makes a difference. Business people in a corporate setting. Remember those? Remember when you would go in a corporate setting and you're, you're there in a big corporate gathering? Those wearing business attire, a business suit or a professional outfit of some kind. They found that you are 5% more likely to close the deal than a person not dressed as professional. 5%. That's the American Economic Review says, yes, what you're wearing in that situation matters. What about exercising? It has been proven that if you put on athletic apparel, you are more likely to work out harder and longer, thinking, believing you're able to complete an athletic endeavor more suitably than if you were not dressed in that exercise gear. What about working from home? I thought this was interesting because a lot of us, we're working from home, aren't we? They found this, that dressing the part, no matter where you're at, is more successful at putting you in the mindset to perform that task efficiently. So what this article said is wearing pajamas, although comfortable and although you're at home, is going to elicit thoughts and feelings and behaviors that are associated with kicking back and relaxing, not high performance and confidence to fulfill the task. Right? So think about that. It's saying in some of these things, it matters. And in some of these other instances, we know what we wear, it communicates a message. You go into a courtroom, you see a judge wearing a robe 
robe, that communicates justice. You, before you enter that courtroom, you walk by a police officer, that uniform, that badge, it communicates authority. An expensive suit signifies power, that white lab coat, scientific focus or attentiveness. We're, we're in the football season right now. That jersey, it communicates what team you're playing for, which side you're on. All these things in these contexts, it turns out clothes matter. So let's kind of shift this over to our Bible study this morning. What about God? Does God care about what we wear? I want you to search your Bibles because you will see a lot of Bible verses that talk about, yes, God does care about what we wear. We have a chapter in front of us that is the entirety about the clothes God wants Aaron and his sons, the high priest and the other priests to wear before going in his presence. So yes, God cares. But coming back to the question we opened our study with, do clothes really make the man? Do clothes really make the woman? Do the clothes we wear on the outside change who we are on the inside? Now yes, they can help our mindset. Yes, they can ready us to perform the task. But listen, no, they can cannot change the heart. They cannot, they do not change what is on the inside. That that is just not something that what we put on the outside has the power to do, right? We are not changed from the outside in. That's, that's called confirmation or, or like when you're conforming. Not, I'm probably wrong. Conforming is what that's called. If I'm going to conform to the circumstances around me, I'm going to look on the outside like I'm, I'm playing the part, but I'm not transformed on the inside, then what is actually happening is not a change of heart, right? It's it's looking one way on the outside, pleasing God with the lips where our hearts are far from him. And I want you to know, Jesus didn't come to live the perfect life, die on a cross, the perfect death, and rise again so we could just be conformed on the outside. It's so that we would be transformed on the inside. So clothes don't make the man. Jesus makes the man because Jesus redeems the man. Jesus redeems us as people, men and women. Jesus makes us born again, makes things altogether new, makes us spiritually alive again. So repetitively, do clothes change what's on the outside? Yes. Do clothes change what's on the inside? No. Clothes do not make the man. And if that was ever going to be true, it would have been true for Aaron and his sons in Exodus chapter 28 and beyond. And we're going to see the story that goes along with them. It does not change them. It makes them look the part from the outside. There's an obedience, but not a transformation because they don't change the heart. So as we close out with this topic in mind, I want you to kind of hold on to it because we eventually close out our study this morning. We're going to see we do all need a change of clothes, but it's in a spiritual sense. It's the putting on Christ. It's the... It's, it's the allowing his righteousness to be a robe covering us. Everything that we're going to be talking about in Exodus 28, it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to what Jesus, our high priest, is able to clothe us, us with. So that's where we get our title and our references throughout. Worship is being clothed in Christ. Worship is walking into the throne of grace knowing Jesus is my covering. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my high priest. So keep that in mind. Everything we're going to talk about in Exodus 28, it's all pointing to Jesus. But let's see what God has to say to us about it. Exodus 28, verse 1, says this. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest." And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Now there's a lot to talk about here. I told you it's a lot about clothing. It's a lot about external things. Remember, Moses is up on the mountain. God is communicating to him how he wants to be worshipped. And we've 
talked about the construction of the tabernacle. We've talked about all the furnishings, the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the lampstand. Then we moved out. We talked about the altar. We talked about the fence that makes up the outer courts. Now God is talking about the people that are going to get to go inside and worship him. And what he's going to very clearly communicate through the text before us is you can't just walk in and see God dressed however you want. You have to come adorned in these articles of clothing that he's, he's very descriptively communicating them to make for Aaron and his sons. So please know that the same is true today. You can't, we can't just come and approach God however we want. We have to be adorned in the right things. We have to be clothed in Christ. So that will make more sense as we continue to go through. But let's break down this text. A lot of things going on here in these first four vo- verses. I want to point out four things. Four things as it pertains to what is going on here. Number one, for Aaron and his sons, I want you to know and understand this is a calling from God for them. Aaron and his sons have been called by God to serve him in this capacity. They are made priests by the will and the calling of God. Please understand that they didn't campaign for this position. They weren't elected for this position. They didn't jockey themselves to get into this position. They didn't self-promote. They didn't step over anyone. They didn't step on anyone. They did not appoint themselves. All right, please understand that there's no such thing as a self-appointed priest. And I'll go so far as to say there's no such thing as a self-appointed pastor or an elder or a deacon or a worship leader or a children's ministry leader or a men's ministry leader or whatever other capacity one might find themselves serving within the church. We don't get there by self-appointment. We get there by the call of God. God calls us into that position. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with Aaron. Now, some of us, we, we might be thinking, well, wait a minute, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be called by God? I, I want to know, what if, how, how do I know if I've been called by God? I, what is my calling? Right? We want to know this. Well, well, listen, I answer this way. I say, we often want to know what is our calling while we're sitting there doing nothing. And I say, you got to start serving somewhere, put yourself in circulation somewhere, and watch God start to direct you into the place that he wants to call you into, right? It begins with just serving. That's how it worked in my life. That's how it's worked in Aaron's life. You find a place to serve. You find where there's need, and you find it there, one, because you're looking for it, two, because it gets a hold of your heart, and then three, you make yourself willing to be used of God to serve there. But think about some of the people throughout the Bible that that exact pattern happened that way. Stephen and Philip, they come on the page of the scripture. Why? Because they were willing to serve tables, right? There was just some widows that weren't getting food in the daily distribution. And Philip and Stephen, Philip the evangelist, Stephen, who becomes an incredible orator until he goes to be with the Lord, they just say, hey, I'll serve widows' tables, right? I'll serve, right? God has greater things in store for them, but nothing until they first start serving somewhere. Rahab, she starts serving by hiding some spies in her house, just ministering to God's people by hiding some spies. Ruth, she starts serving her mother-in-law. Just saying, I'm going to stay with my mother-in-law. I'm going to serve her. Jacob has a kind of an auspicable start, but then he starts serving his father-in-law. Yes, to, to get the, the hand of his bride, but he starts serving his father-in-law. David starts watching sheep for his father. Joseph is just faithful in Potiphar's house as a slave, but all the those people I mentioned, God is going to use them to do much greater things, but nothing until they're first faithful in one thing, right? They've got to start serving somewhere. They've got to be faithful in those little things. If they're not going to be faithful in little, why would God even desire to give them more, right? You're faithful in little, and then God gives you more to be faithful in, and then you're faithful there, and then God gives you more to be faithful in. The same is true for Aaron, right? Here in Exodus 28, it's not like Aaron just all of a sudden comes on the pages of scripture. It's not like God is just throwing darts saying, I need a high priest. I wonder who it's going to be. Let's see where the dart lands on amongst the two and a half million people in the camp of Israel. That is not how it works. Aaron has been on the scene for a long time. 
time. Aaron has been raised up for this. Sometimes we have the heart to say, God, can't you just, just skip all the training ground? I'm ready to be high priest now. No, we're not. The training ground is important to get us to where we want to be, to bring humility, to bring patience, to bring dependence, to knock off our rough edges. It takes time by God's design to mold us and make us and shape us into the people that he wants to use for his glory. This is not Aaron's first task. Let's talk about Aaron for a minute. Remember, before he was Moses' brother, 28 one says, Aaron, your brother. Before he was Moses' brother, listen, Moses was his. Moses was first Aaron's brother. And remember, while Moses was out in the desert watching sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro, Aaron was being raised up as a leader in Israel. It's perhaps even possible while Moses was still in the courts of Pharaoh, God is using Aaron amongst the nation of Israel even when when they were slaves in Egypt. God has been raising up Aaron. It was Aaron that God selected to be Moses' spokesperson before Pharaoh. It's gonna be called Aaron's rod because God is gonna use Aaron to perform some miraculous signs. It's Aaron who goes up with her to hold up Moses' arms when they're praying to God to bring victory for Joshua over the Amalekites. It's Aaron who's gone up the mountain to be with God. So think about all those different tasks have led up to this moment where God says, now here's your next opportunity to be faithful. I want you to call Aaron. He's going to be the high priest for me and his sons. They're going to make up the lineage of the high priest, those who are able to come and serve me inside this tabernacle. So just please catch that it's a calling from God and it comes because Aaron has been faithful up until this point, faithful in the little things that God has given to him to be faithful in. So I just want to encourage you as we are all wanting to know, God, what am I called to do? What are those good works that you've prepared beforehand for me to do? It begins with saying, I'm willing to do whatever you have for me. What are the opportunities that that first come about? I want to be faithful in those. Where you end up probably won't be where you start, but you have to start somewhere. We have to get moving in some capacity, saying as Isaiah says, God, I'm willing. Take the coal, touch my lips, and send me. I'm willing. So it begins there. So find an area to serve in and watch God start to grow you and shape you and give you more opportunities in ministry to follow after him. But the point one is God calls Aaron and his sons into this ministry. Point number two, ultimately, what has God called Aaron to do? Right, I want you to try and strip away all the glamour that we can build up into ministry. Right, We can kind of think, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be recognized. I'm going to be this leader in the church or whatever other things we kind of fancifully think this is going to be. If we could strip all that away and say, ultimately, what is the main thing God has called Aaron to do? We could say in three words. Three things, three words that God says. This is, this is Aaron's responsibility. Verse 28, or chapter 28, verse 1 says, minister to me. Verse verse 3 says, minister to me. Verse 4, minister to me. Three different times in these four verses, God just says, here's what I want you to do, Aaron. Minister to me. You serve me. You have an audience of one. You let your main perspective be, am I being faithful to the Lord God who's called me? And why is that so important? Because anyone who's ever served in ministry for any capacity knows it's hard. It's a lot harder than you thought it was going to be. It's a lot more thankless than you thought it was going to be. It's a lot less glamorous than you thought it was going to be. And it's a really good thing that's not what we're doing any of it for. We're doing it unto the Lord. We're ministering to Him. That is our motivation behind serving in any capacity, in any ministry, in any position. I want to be faithful to the Lord who's called me, who saved me and called me, and I'm serving Him. Please understand that. That's my heart. Just to stand before the Lord my God one day and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to serve you. It was all unto you. Here is all of this for your glory, not for any recognition, not for any glamour. God, it's all been because you are awesome and you are worthy. So three different times, minister to me, minister to me. In all things that we do, we do them unto the Lord. Point number three, still in these first four verses, the Lord is going to tell Moses, I want Aaron 
to wear some clothes when he does this. And I want you to just take a look at this slide. This is a slide that just kind of shows the priestly garments. We're going to talk more about them in detail. But six pieces of clothing are listed that Aaron, the high priest, is supposed to wear. And a few of these, his sons, will also wear. But notice, a breastplate. This is going to be a, a, a piece of gold that's going to be folded over. It's a span. It's it's nine inches by nine inches, right? That's right in the center of the chest. It's going to be over his heart. The ephod is the vest that you see that he's wearing there. The robe is the blue piece of cloth that goes down past his knees. The tunic is the long sleeve undergarment that goes down even further. The turban is the hat that he's going to wear. The sash is the belt that he's going to wear. But I want you to catch this. What are these clothes all going to represent? You're thinking, well, why, God? Why do you want him to wear these clothes? Verse 2, he tells us, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother for glory and for beauty. So he tells us these clothes, this outer adornment that the high priest is supposed to wear, it is to communicate three things. Number one, God is holy. They are holy garments because whoever comes into the presence of God must know he is holy and to communicate that he is holy. He is holy and he is glorious and he is beautiful. And everything that is done here is to communicate that message. Please understand, this is not to communicate that the priest is holy. The priest is not the one holy here in this equation. And we know that from some verses that are going to come a little bit later. But look at this verse. This is Leviticus chapter 10, verse 13. It says this, And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. If you're at all familiar with Leviticus 10, you know that Moses says this right after Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's two eldest sons, those in line to be the next high priest after Aaron dies. They have just been struck dead in the tabernacle because they approached God in an unholy manner. Now it says nothing that they weren't wearing the right clothes, but clothes do not make the man, right? Clothes are just to demonstrate what I'm doing, make my heart understand in the reverent way that I'm approaching a holy, glorious, beautiful God. But that's what is being communicated here. God says these holy garments are for you to put on so you don't ever forget that I'm holy, so that you are not under any illusions about what you're about to do and repeat the folly of your two sons and come before me in an irreverent manner. These are not just to say, oh, there's the high priest, he's holy. Say, there's the high priest, our mediator, who's going before the most holy God. As John Simpson loves to say, the one who is holy to the third power. I love that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In a category all by himself. And just as Moses is declaring here, whoever goes before him must understand God is holy and must communicate to the people, God is holy and he must be glorified. So so that's what these garments are going on. They're holy garments, but it's not just the holiness of God. He's also glorious. Look at this verse. This comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is getting a glimpse into the throne of God. He's seeing two angels flying around, and the angels are crying out this. Isaiah 6, 3. One angel cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So there's that second one. God is glorious. I love this idea. The, the, the glory of God is the, the defining characteristic of his, his off-shining. Like it's glorious. You're thinking, that is amazing. It's beautiful and it's glorious and he's holy, right? That's what is going on here. That's what is being communicated. And beautiful, there's nothing more beautiful than the Lord God of heaven and earth. You know, we, we saw the smoke kind of clear this morning. We say, oh, it's beautiful again. Listen, it pales into comparison to the one who created it, right? God himself is the most beautiful thing our eye will ever behold. 
His voice is the most beautiful sound our ears will ever hear. Proclaiming the praises of the Lord is the most beautiful thing that can ever come out of our lips. God is beautiful. Listen to what David says. Psalm 27, verse 4. David, a man after God's own heart, says, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So God is holy, God is glorious, and God is beautiful, and that's what this outer garment, what what these six pieces of clothing are all going to communicate. That the high priest cannot come into the presence of God unless he's adorned with these things. And I want you to understand, Christians, that still has not changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still demands whoever comes in his presence must be adorned in holy garments, must be adorned with glory and beauty. And you know what that means is we either need to adorn ourselves with these things or else be represented by someone who does. And that's where this message comes together. We are worshiping God only because we are clothed in Christ. And Jesus is holy, lived a perfect and sinless life. Jesus is glorious and Jesus is beautiful. The radiance of God's beauty, the exact representation of his being. But think about that. We put on Christ. That's how we enter in. We don't need ephods and tunics and turbans and these things anymore. We're clothed in Christ. But that picture is what is being portrayed for us here. That's what all of this is about. Now, one more point I want to make still from these four verses, and then we'll cruise through the rest of this text. I want you to take a look at this. Point four is notice how Aaron and his sons are not going to be the ones who make this clothing. Verse three says, Moses, you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And I just love this part. I think this is really, really beautiful and important for all of us. Because I don't know about you, my heart always trends to be like, I'd want to be one of these priests. But I want you to understand, it's not even all the tribe of Levi. It was only the family of Aaron within the tribe of Levi, one tribe out of all the other 12. It was a small little chance that you were going to be Aaron or one of his sons to be able to minister. And the vast majority of us, we would have all been those other people. Now, most of us were Gentiles. We wouldn't even been there. We're outside the camp, but that's another Bible study. My point is, is I would feel like, man, I want to do something. I want to be the one who's going into the presence of God. But what if I'm not? I want you to see that God has those people's hearts and minds too. And he says, but I want you to know, well, you, you won't get to go in, but the work that you do as unto me, it will go before you as you help clothe the one who does go before me. So for Aaron and his sons, all these other artisans, all these other people, they're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. And they're going to be able to use their gifts for God's glory, for God's beauty, because God is holy. And God is going to know with every stitch that is on that ephod, with every stone that is set on that breastplate, with every engraving etch that is on one of those stones, God knows the one who did it. And it is well-pleasing to him. We're going to see later that some of these names are going to be mentioned in the book of Exodus of these people who serve the Lord in this capacity, just showing they do not go unnoticed to the Lord. I want you to understand that some of you, maybe you've been praying faithfully in a prayer closet and nobody sees. Listen, God sees. God knows what you're doing as unto him. And not only is it going to be helping Aaron accomplish the task that God has called him, but you're accomplishing the task that God has called you. There are no small things before the Lord. There's just opportunities to be faithful. And that's the beauty of what we're seeing here. Just ministry as a whole, that's how a church functions. Different people serving in different capacities, bringing their offering, and God in his supernatural way able to bring it all together for his glory, for his beauty, and because he's holy. So that's what we're seeing here. It's, It's amazing. But I just want you to see that God takes time just to point out there's other people who are involved. And there's other people who are, their work is going to be important. It's going to be noticed. So Christians, just be faithful. 
Take a moment and say, God, what have you called me to do? I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a mother. I'm a neighbor. I'm a co-worker. I'm a manager. I'm a leader. I'm a servant. Again, so many different titles. You have an opportunity right there in those capacities to represent God. To do what? To show that He's holy. To show that He's glorious. To show that He's beautiful. And you can do that only when you're clothed in Christ, walking out the life of worship that we're we're seeing portrayed here. But that does pertain to us. That does come and hit us in that area as well. Now, we've got a lot of verses to cruise through, but there's still some good stuff we're going to point out here. So let's move on. Verse 5. It says, They shall take, this is the artisans, they're going to make this, they shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. And you shall take two onyx stones and engrave them, engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. On their names, six of their names on one stone, and six names on the other stone, in order of their birth with the work of an engraver in stone like the engravings of a signet you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel and you shall set them in settings of gold and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel so Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial and you shall also make settings of gold you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. So the, this first piece that we're getting introduced to here is, is the ephod. And you take a look at this picture. You can kind of see these priestly garments. This ephod is this vest. You see the shoulder straps. You see the golden chains. You see the, it wraps around kind of the torso of the priest. That's that's the ephod. This priest would never enter into the, the tabernacle to perform these sacred duties without this ephod on. And what's the most important part about this ephod is going to be the breastplate that's attached to it on the front and the stones that are resting upon both of those shoulder straps on top of the very shoulders of the high priest. Now what's on those two stones? Each has six names of the sons of Israel. Each of the 12 tribes representing all of God's people there upon the shoulders. Think about the visual picture that that is he's the priest every time he enters into the presence of God he comes with the burden of the people on his shoulders that's what a priest does a priest represents the people before God and God before the people but a good high priest the good high priest Jesus he ever lives to make intercession for us he carries us in he carries our burdens he carries our 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 needs he carries our afflictions before the Lord and Aaron just think about how beautiful it is he's carrying the people before the lord everywhere he goes and when god sees those stones he says they're to be a memorial but not in like i went to the cemetery and i'm looking at a memorial stone i want you to look at it. it's a stone of remembrance when we as christians when we go to a to, to the to the cemetery and we see a gravesite of where a believer is died that's just a memorial stone they're not there they're with the lord but that stone brings to remembrance our love for them our 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 our, our affliction or our affection for them but for god that's what a memorial stone does it calls to his remembrance not that he forgot not that he would ever forget but he chooses to remember his people every single time his priest comes before him to serve as the mediator between god and man but think about this over and over i love all these pictures over and over and over the priest goes in and is representing the people before god and god before the people over and over the the people all know there's there's the high priest there's our mediator right they would all get that god's system is set up for the need of a mediator which is just mind-boggling to me because the 
the people should have known when Jesus comes, when Jesus walks this earth and he's the high priest in the line of Melchizedek with no beginning and no end, that they would see he's, this makes perfect sense. He's the high priest. He's the one who goes b- before us. But think about that picture of this priest bears the people on his shoulders. I can't help but think about Jesus bearing the cross upon his shoulders and bearing all of our sin upon his shoulders while he carries us into the presence of God to satisfy the payment that we couldn't meet, living a life of perfection. We've all fallen short. But Jesus puts us on his shoulders, lives a life we couldn't live, walks the walk we couldn't walk, and he ushers us all the way in by satisfying the payment that we owed. We started this study again talking about do clothes make the man. We say, no, clothes don't make the one righteous. This ephod never made the the priest righteous. It was always pointing to what Jesus is going to do. Only faith in Jesus being forgiven because Jesus took our place. Being clothed in his righteousness, forgiven because his blood was shed for us. That's what Jesus has done. But think of how beautiful that is. Jesus bears us on his shoulders before the Father and says, I I died for their sins. I covered them. I took their place. That's on the shoulders of Jesus in a sense as he goes before the Lord, interceding. He always lives. Hebrews 7.25, he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is our high priest. So I love this. I love connecting the dots here. One more thing that I love when, when it says that the names are written upon those shoulders, I want us to understand that our names in a sense have also been written upon Jesus. Look at this verse, Isaiah 49 verses 15 and 16 says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I just want you to understand, Jesus, our high priest, some of us thinking, uh, does, does God know I'm hurting right now? Does God know that, that life is not easy for me right now? Does God know that I'm sick right now? Does God know that, that I'm struggling in this season right now? Jesus would say to you right now, as he stretches out his nail-pierced hands, he would say, see, I've inscribed you on my hands. I know what you're going through. Your walls are always before me. Your situation is before me. I'm praying for you right now. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus, our high priest, he's praying for your situation. He's strengthening you right now. He's sending his his angels to minister to you right now. That's what he promised. That's what a good high priest does. But see, I've inscribed you on my hands, Jesus says, just as being pictured here by Aaron. And when the high priest comes before, so does Jesus. Jesus for us. It's beautiful and it's encouraging and it's strengthening all at the same time. Now I want to make one more point here because I also want us to know this pertains to you and I as Christians as well. Making a personal application here, I want you to understand Christian, you. 1 Peter chapter 2 says you Christian in Christ as we're clothed with Christ. He says you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You and I, we are priests. We are servants of the Most High God. We are priests. Do you know what that means? Is we have the ability in Christ to take some of the people around us, place them on our shoulders in a sense, and carry them into the presence of God to pray for them, to intercede for them. We can represent them before God. We can represent God before them. It's a high calling, but exactly like we're seeing here, we put on Christ. We clothe ourselves in grace, in love, in strength, in purity, in power, in compassion. And we pray for those people. We pray for love for those people. And then we get the love we need from God and we go back out and minister to those people. Don't let this world and this current season, let your love grow cold. God's love is not growing cold in this season. God is wanting his people to be filled up with his power to love in the way that we've been called to love. We are a chosen generation. God did not make a mistake when 
he let you and I be born for such a time as this, in this season, surrounded by the people that we're surrounded by. We have an opportunity to be priests like this. Think about the visual, putting those people on your shoulder and carrying them before the presence of God to intercede for them. I want to do that. I'm trying to do that for you. I want you to do that for the people around you. That's beautiful. And that's what God has given us an opportunity to do. So pray for them. God, save. God, forgive. God, bring conviction. God, bring healing. Call to repentance. God, do what you want to. And we know it's your will that you seek to save those who are lost. We know that it's your heart that no no person would perish, that all would come to everlasting life, calling upon the name of Jesus. But let's agree with that heart. And let's be used as God desires to use us. But that's what the ephod would look like and, and would have represent. Next, he's going to talk about the breastplate. Verse 15 says, you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. Now a span is about the distance between thumb and pinky finger. It's about half a cubit, about nine inches. So it's nine by nine. It's a nine by nine inch square. He says, and you should, verse 17, and you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name and they shall be according to the 12 tribes you shall make chains for the breastplate at the end like braided cords of pure gold you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate then you shall put two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front You shall make two rings of gold, put them on the two ends of the breastplate, on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using the blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. 29, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Now, I don't know about you, but that is crazy intricate. I'm amazed at just how detailed God is. But I want you to think, I bet Moses, I bet Aaron, I bet those gifted artisans, I bet they are all very, very thankful that they have details like this. You ever had a difficult thing that you need to put together at home? You, you buy some Ikea furniture and you're like, what? You're always going back to the instructions to put, okay, put the ring here. Okay, put the dowel here. Or you ever get maybe that, that bike or that trike or that play four-wheeler for your kids and you're, you're putting that thing together? I'm thankful for some really detailed instructions. Are, are you one of those people? You're like, I don't need the instructions. It's all in here. I'm kind of thinking Charlie might be one of those guys here, but, but I'm grateful for all of these detailed instructions because God wants this done the right way. But that's what he's talking about. This breastplate is what he's talking about next. And and notice that it's called the breastplate of judgment, that he should bear the judgment of Israel before the Lord. I want you to understand that kind of sounds like a negative thing, 
But it's not intended to be a negative thing. It can be translated as the breastplate for making decisions. The breastplate to help you aid in making a judgment. It's not a judgment from a negative standpoint. It's how can I discern the will of God? In this day, it was by seeking God, by reaching in and pulling out the Urim or the Thummim. And we're going to talk more about that, about what that looks like. But that was how to make decisions, make judgments. I put several verses in your study guide about Old Testament verses where a priest is going to put on this ephod and they're going to pull out one of those pieces to understand, God, what is your will? What do you want us to do? Attack or don't attack? Proceed or not proceed? Or even handing the... the the land out in the book of Joshua per lot. Right? They're seeking this for the will of God. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but that's, what, that's what's going here on this breastplate. Now notice it's going to be beautiful. This breastplate, like everything else, artistically woven, beautiful. It's going to have more stones set on it. You can take a look at this picture. This is what we think these stones were going to look like. They're beautiful. They're gonna have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel in four different rows, engraved upon them. And notice God is very, very clear. God goes through great lengths to make sure that that breastplate is affixed to the ephod and in such a place where it is over the heart of the high priest. Now he's already told us the high priest goes before the Lord with the the, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his shoulders. And now God says, I also want the names in precious stones above the heart of the high priest continually. And I just love that, right? It's one thing to know, God, thank you that you're willing to to shoulder my load with me, right? Thank you that when I get into the yoke with you, Jesus, you shoulder the load with me, right? That's great. And we're kind of like, oh, thank you, God. But I want you to know, isn't it even better to say, in addition to him shouldering the load with us, he also says, I want you to know you're also on my heart. You're always continually upon my heart, upon my mind, before my eyes. I love that. And again, in memorial stones, a call to remembrance because God wants to choose to remember his people. So every single time the priest comes before him, there he sees it on the shoulders and before his heart of the high priest, on the heart of the mediator. And again, speaking of Jesus, we are on his heart. We are on his mind. He loves us. And I love that there's stones, right? God has told his people earlier that if you will obey me, if you will follow my commandments and keep my life, he says, you will be a treasured possession in me. And by design, God picks precious stones, right? We're precious stones to the Lord. And, and again, that is so amazing to me that God would treasure us, right? God created everything. He can have anything. It's already his, right? He created, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. But he says, but I want to treasure you, If you will come and abide with me, I want to treasure you. You are a precious stone. I want to etch my name on you. I want to put you near my heart continually. I just think that's beautiful as God goes through great lengths to talk about some of these things. But notice again, just look at that other picture with with the garments of the priest. You can see where, where it's supposed to be placed. But behind that breastplate, notice it's supposed to be doubled over. There's going to be a pocket where, where the Urim and the Thummim are going to be placed. And behind this breastplate of judgment, those are going to help aid the high priest in discerning the will of God. Now I want you to know there's tons of speculation about what is the Urim and the Thummim. Listen, were they even stones? We don't know. The, the bottom line is, we don't know. We don't know how they were used. We don't know what they were. Why don't we know that? Because the Bible just doesn't tell us that, right? I think that's kind of really by design, because if the Bible did tell us that, how many of us would have our own set of a Urim and a Thummim in our house somewhere to use, right? Probably most of us. But God says, no, I don't want you to, to consult those means anymore. You have my spirit dwelling inside of you. You have my word in front of you, a lamp, a compass, a light. You have the peace of God that rules in our hearts. You should have some godly counsel around you. We have a lot of other means that are a lot more faithful and reliable than than casting lots or some of the things they did. But in this day, that is what they did. And the Urim and the Thummim, they literally mean lights and perfections. And so again, we don't really know what that means, but we get the idea that the priest would go before the Lord, maybe maybe burning incense, maybe praying, would seek the Lord and bring a situation before God and say, God, what do you want to do here? 
Um, if, if it's a yes, let me pull out this stone. If it's a no, let me pull out this stone. And when they would pull the stone, they would, they would trust that even as a man casts the lot, it's the Lord who determines its plan. It's the Lord who lets it fall the way it's going to fall. So that's the way they kind of worked it out in this day. And again, I put several verses in your study guide to be able to see that. But that's what's going on. That's how they use some of these things right behind that breastplate. A few more descriptions of of some other articles here. Verse 31 says, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. And we we can see the robe in that picture. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. I think, oh, I'm so glad God put that, right? What if, there's no, what if there was no opening for the head? That couldn't be what God wants us to do. God doesn't want us to serve him blindly, right? He's like, no, I want you to see what's going on here. So put an opening for the head in the middle of it. Look at this. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear, right? God's saying, you know, people have heads of different sizes, right? Sometimes the high priest can have a larger head than the previous high priest. So let's bind that opening so it doesn't tear. Verse 33, upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. Listen, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate all upon the hem of the robe all around it. And it shall be that Aaron, when he ministers and its sound will be heard, when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. Not dying is right up there in the top priorities of a high priest. Right? We want God to be seen as holy, as glorious, and beautiful, and not dying in the process. So he's going to obey what is going on here. But I love the intricate design of all this. Notice in every piece that we've been talking about, the tabernacle itself, the internal, the, the interior design, the, the curtains, the veil, then we go back out to the outer gate, and now the priest, all, it's all the same color combination, Blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, white. It's all the same connection. It's all embodying the same message. It's all showing the consistency, the holiness, the glory, and the beauty of the Lord. And I love that. And then we get some practical things. Bell, pomegranate, all on the lower hem of the robe. So when the priest goes into the most holy place on that one day a year to sprinkle blood on that mercy seat, he's the only one in there. And it's God's presence that's bringing the light. Otherwise, it would be pitch black. But I want you to see, first, God wants to hear this sound. Right? Think about how God loves the sound that we make. God loves the beautiful sound that these bells and pomegranates are going to make. But it also turns into be kind of a practical purpose because all the other priests are outside in the holy place and they're listening intently. Did you hear that bell? Okay, good. He's still alive. Right? I haven't heard the bell for a while. Does that mean he's dead? Oh no. Who's the one who's going to go into the most holy place before the Lord and go get that priest? Right? That would be, that'd be a difficult straw to draw. What they would do in later days, they'd eventually just tie a rope around the high priest. In case that happens, they just fish him out out of there. But but what God is doing is just giving some practical purposes. But think about that. Every time that bell rings, you're thinking, this is a serious thing. I'm going before the presence of God. I'm going into the Holy of Holies. That's exactly what God wants. Even when we think about this idea of worship. Verse 36 says, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear, bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may know that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall skillfully weave the tunic. There's the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen. And then you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics. And you shall make sashes for them. And you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. Understand that only Aaron wears the ephod. Only Aaron has the plate holiness to the Lord. The priests, they're just wearing that white tunic, not the blue robe. And they're they're wearing the sash and the hat. But they're not dressed the exact 
exact same, but a few of these pieces, there is some duplication. Verse 41, you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. We'll talk about the consecration and all that sanctification next week. 42, and you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. I told you, God cares about what we wear. Again, a big chapter on that. Verse 43, they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. So finally, the turban, the tunic, the sash, the rest of those pieces of clothing that it is paramount that the priests wear. But notice what is said here of this, this, this hat, this turban. On the very front of it, over the forehead, is not your favorite team's logo, right? It says, holiness to the Lord. I mean, think about how intimidating this. I love the idea of, of his banner over me is love. Like, I like that. I'm more of like a banner kind of guy. But holiness to the Lord on your forehead, that's intimidating. And it was supposed to be. Because remember, everybody who goes before the Lord in this priestly capacity, they must understand God is to be regarded as holy. And before all the people, he is to be glorified. So that's what it's communicating. God is holy. And holiness to the Lord is what is required. Be holy as I am holy. Even Jesus would reiterate to us. All pointing back to us to need to be clothed in Christ so we can meet so high a standard. We couldn't. Jesus could on our behalf. But God is communicating that this priest has been called by God, set apart by God, invited, identified to minister to the Lord, be the mediator between God and man, and holiness is required. But I want to look at just one more verse as we close out. Verse 43, again, notice, they shall be on Aaron. Aaron shall wear these things, or they will incur iniquity and die. God is making it absolutely clear. It is not an option. You can't say, you know, the the sash really just doesn't bring out the color in my eyes. I'm going to skip that part. Right? You don't get to decide that. God wants to be worshipped the way he's commanding his people to worship him. And they must be adorned in these things, clothed with the right things, or they're going to incur iniquity and die. Right? Think about how heavy that is. God says, here's the way I want to be worshipped. And I want to bring that back to all of us because the same is true for us this morning. Right? We have to be clothed in the right things or we cannot worship God. We will not be accepted before him. And the only way to be adorned in the right things is if we're clothed in Christ, is if we're found in him, is if we've come to him and said, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of, of God, your perfect standard. I've fallen short of your glory. I need to be forgiven. Will you come into my life? I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. And it says Jesus will come in and he will set up residence. He will send his spirit. Our bodies will become the tabernacle and his righteousness deposited into our account. A robe of righteousness placed over us. That's what it means to be clothed in Christ. And it's a spiritual work. But that is the adornment that we need if we're going to come into the presence of God and be accepted before him. If we're going to come into the presence of God and worship him if we're going to represent him as priests to all the people around us. We need to be clothed in Christ. So don't think that it's it's robes and tunics and ephods anymore. It's Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Paul writes in his letters to the Romans, the Ephesians, the Galatians, and the Colossians. He uses words like this, put on Christ. I put the verses in your study guide. It means take off the old and put on the new. Be clothed in Christ. And so here's our application this morning as we close. It's like this. When I get up in the morning, I'm going to pick out one set of clothes. I mean, unlike my daughter, I'm going to pick out one set of clothes, and that is most likely going to be the only set of clothes I'm going to wear all day, right? No change of clothes. That's it. And those clothes are going to be a part of me all day long. Those clothes are going to go with me everywhere I go. Those clothes are going to cover me and make me presentable before others. That's the purpose of clothes. But in that same light, when Paul says, put on Christ, he's saying, when you wake up in the morning, put on Jesus. Wash your mind with the water of the word. Put on Jesus. 
Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Put on Jesus. Say that I'm putting you on Jesus because wherever I go, I want you to go. Whoever I talk to, I want you to be visible. Whoever I conversate with, I want you to be in the middle of that conversation. It doesn't mean that every single thing we do is talking about Jesus, but that is filtering everything we say through the lens that is Jesus because I want Jesus to show me presentable before every single person. That's what a priest does. The priest would put these things on so everybody knows that's a priest. We put on Jesus so everybody knows there's something different about that person. They're a Christian. They're following after Jesus. And I know this is becoming harder and harder in such a divisive culture, but it's becoming even more necessary. Put on Christ. Live a life of worship for for God's glory, for his beauty, because he's holy. Put on Christ because that's what we're called to do. That is the privilege that we get to walk in, to represent him to this lost world. So put on Christ today, tomorrow, the next day. Live lives of worship. We are that chosen generation. We are that royal priesthood. This is who we've been called to be. And listen, even when nobody else seems to care, even when nobody else seems to notice, we still put on Christ because ultimately we're doing it for him. Right, we minister to him, we minister to him, we minister, it's our calling, it's our privilege, it's our joy. So be clothed with Christ, amen church? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we're so grateful that you have done such uh, such a perfect work. That God, we just want to live as we've been called, as we've been saved to live. We want to be faithful in the situation that you've placed before us. And Father, I can come before you as I know my brothers and sisters can as well. And I can just acknowledge, I haven't always done that. I didn't always do that last week. And so I acknowledge that before you, Lord God. I confess that before you, Lord God. I set that here at the altar that is at the foot of your cross. And I say, wash me white as snow once more, Lord God. Wash us white as snow. We want to start over today. We want to start over this week with a fresh opportunity and renewed mercies to be the priests that Jesus, you've called us to be. To be the representatives, the witnesses, the ambassadors that you've created us to be. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing. Take the coal and and touch our lips because we want to be sent, God. Send us into this lost and dark and dying world to be salt and light to the people around us. God, we want to do this for your glory. We want to do this because we're ministering to you as we do. Father, we lift this up to you and say, Jesus, have your way in us. We say it all together in Jesus' name. Amen.